When it comes to weight management, we tend to focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. That's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up today. Welcome to episode number 297 of On the Corner, the official PitcherList.com podcast. I'm your host, Alex Fast, joined as always by the beardy boy, Nick Pollock. Nick, how you doing? What is happening? I knew you were going to say that. You're like, oh, what am I going to use? Like, Oh, obviously, the fact that I haven't cut my hair, I think, in three months. This is the longest it's... I've had it for a very long time. It's wild. Uh, the beard uh, my is My beard is going out, too. It, you know, if anyone has been following me the past week, you'll see that my Twitter feed is obsessed with just, hey, I'm streaming. You know, I'm saying that, like, Rick and Morty quote, oh, geez, here I go projecting again. You know, it's <laughs> that's all I've been doing. And you've been seeing the progressive beard and hair because I am not leaving my apartment until PL7 launches. It has been awesome okay. watching you turn into a mad scientist before our very <laughs> eyes. Just your hair growing out in all these different directions. It's, it's so much fast. It's it, if you want to see looks it, good. Come, come check it out on twitch.tv slash picture list. All right. Yes, where you are. I mean, so why don't you talk a little bit about it for the people who have missed it about what you've been doing on Twitch for the past couple of days? Because are, for people still preparing, yeah. it's been very valuable. Yes, um, I hope so, at least. I, I'm i doing projections for the first time, like real ones. And mm. I'm doing it with the benefit of Aiden Hall and Frank Bruni, who have worked the entire year to create a projection system with PitcherList. And uh, they have sent me a, uh, a template, you know, not really a template, like a good set of foundation for, for projections that I'm tweaking because if I'm going to put up starting pitching ones, I need to fully believe in them. Um, and, of course, we're doing the same thing for hitters and relievers as well. Uh, so I'm going through, I actually just went through all 30 teams, um, oh. and there's, and then the next couple of days I'm doing the free agents as well. Uh, all the new signings and then those will be adjusted and so on. It's exciting. Who has been, Wonderful. who has been the biggest, uh, surprise for you as you're doing your projections where you're like, Oh man, this guy was maybe better than I thought, or Oof. I actually think he's going to do really well next year. Well, guess what? Uh, I know one thing you do like is tease. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about that we're, person today. We're going to talk about one of them today. So that's actually yeah. going to get into what we're talking about today, which is uh, you're going to hear that sound a lot because it's <laughs> 10 guys that we just can't make up our mind on. OK, and I want to set the ground rules a little bit, too. It's super easy. And obviously, we, we both fall victim to this because everyone does it in the industry. And it's, you know, it's the way to talk about players where you're like. Yeah, but if he fell to me here, I would take him, right? right. We're not going to talk about that at all in this podcast. We're not going to, like, obviously, if a guy falls low enough, you take him. It's as simple as that. But we're not going to get into players' ADP here. We're not going to get into where they're going in drafts because that's the caveat. We're just going to talk about guys that we're like, I just don't, I don't really quite know yet. I don't know. I don't know. I can't make up my mind on this guy, okay? So, um, we're also this is our our our, our first bi-coastal podcast. I yes! think you probably you probably shouldn't have even noticed it by now because we're no. just so nothing's changed, right? 
Nothing, nothing at all. Nothing's but changed. Just, you know, it's just like Flanders. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. Nothing <laughs> at all. You're still in the murder room, and I've gotten as far yep. away from it as I possibly can. <laughs> Somehow <laughs> you made it out. I don't know. I you did so out. many podcasts in here. Just to feel safe. <laughs> um, the one thing that I want to get into before we uh, uh, get into the guys that were like, eh, is uh, something really important, which is uh, you know a, a, a question that pops up a lot. When, according to you, Yes. When is the last day you can say Happy New Year's to someone? Uh, I would say it's the week. You, you have the full week. Like you're back you in the, the office. Whole week. Or you have a whole week. Say, hey, if you haven't seen someone yet mm-hmm. before the end of Friday. All right. You know, and like after that, it's kind of like, OK, once it gets to be like January 12th and you haven't seen someone, maybe a Happy New Year. Like, oh, hey, I used to see you before the New Year. Now it's this. Yeah. But then it's like. All right. I'm going to say it's today. I'm going to say it's it's the, the last day. Yeah, because you know wow, what? Get at it in, point, guys. Get them in. <laughs> you can. Get it in while you can. Okay. <laughs> like at this point, if I get a happy new year on the 6th or the 7th, if I get it on a Friday, it's just going to remind me of the times where I wasn't working. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm already back in it. I'm already back in it. We're we're yeah. podcasting. The right. break is over. Sure. So, but also happy new year to those listening because I can. And if you're listening to this tomorrow, don't hear what i just said yeah right right it's uh you know if you listen on january 6th you you missed out yeah you really Uh, missed out this is where me and you differ i think Mm -hmm. is i i get excited for the first week of january okay i'm someone i mean it's always the same with me i i get so excited about the next iteration of pitcher list the season coming progressing forward i feel most alive in this month often because it's just there's all these things I have to do and I want to keep taking care of them, working with all these people, all this stuff going on. And always I want to be doing that in December, but it's just the holidays get in the way and it's New Year's and Christmas stuff. And I, I know for most people, they want that break. They're looking forward to it. And that's the, what a sane person is like. I mm-hmm. just get so excited about pictureless stuff that I welcome great now we're hitting the ball rolling we're moving forward everything's progressing it's uh it's a relief to me so happy new year fast happy new year for today that's the last time that's the last i'll say of it that's the last i'll say of it um all right but that's not what we're talking about we're not talking about whether it's it's a it's a good new year or not we're talking about 10 guys that we can't really make up our mind on so what we're going to do is we're going to go back and forth a little bit here um nick's got five i've got five and Maybe we'll get to the answers to some of these questions. I don't even really know what the answer, what, what question we're trying to answer. Because again, it's not, is this person at the right ADP? Because again, it, it doesn't, we're not thinking about, right? We're just talking about guys that we're like, all right. So the first guy that we're going to talk about is uh, someone on your list. And that's a guy coming in hot in the AL East up in Boston named Tanner Hawk. So talk to us a little bit about why you, you can't quite make up your mind on Tanner Hawk. So he's your he's your standard uh, helium guy where there mm-hmm. are skills that people really like. He's gotten a lot of the the GIF hype with Chris Sale and Tanner Houck having the same slider as you've heard many times. Like, oh, man, that slider is just one of the filthiest out there. As you see at times, it won the nastiest GIF of 2020. And you just, oh, big profile team with the Red Sox. He's the savior. of it. There's all these elements that go into Tanner Houck being this huge guy, 30% strikeout rate last year. But I don't know if it's going to come to fruition this year. I want it to. Uh, 
But it might surprise you. That slider, that is the filthiest slider out there. 17% swing strike rate. That's not that's not as high as you would think. Yes, a good CSW of 36% because it maybe it's so filthy. It doesn't need a swing strike rate being so high. A 43% zone rate means they just don't swing. They're that fooled by it. That's a good argument. Still, the strike rate on it, and this is, um, it might surprise a lot of you listening for me to focus on strike rate a lot moving forward. Uh, it's something that during this offseason and doing these projections, I've realized heavily is, is such an indication of its success. Um, essentially, strike rate is just CSW plus a, a, a foul ball or a ball put in play. Mm-hmm. And how often you get strikes is just super important. It showcases mm-hmm. how often they can res- uh, uh, lean on that pitch to to you know get a strike and get the job done and not walk a guy, right? So the strike rate, if you hear under 60%, that's not good. That's that's what we normally see to a bad pitch, right? Uh, it was 59 on the slider for Tanner Hawk last year. Really good batting average allowed at 155. Normally, like, you see anything under 230, like, all right, yeah, we're doing great. 155 is elite. But it does make me worry if this is going to go closer towards the Barrios curveball scenario of we love the pitch. We think it's amazing. We think it's going to be this great stuff. And it never quite becomes that true elite offering. CSW is great, though. And there certainly could be more development with it. So that's that's where I'm I'm a little weird with Hauk is like, how good is that slider? Is it really going to carry him forward? Because the fastball, good high strike rate. But, you know, it's not this overwhelming pitch about 250 batting average allowed, which is fine, which is okay. But it's not like an overpowering going to, you know, really make him successful on its own pitch. The changeup slash splitter, whatever you want to call that maybe it's going to take off or something. I don't really think it will. So all that combined about the repertoire, plus the fact that the Red Sox, we have no idea how they're going to use him. He was never really an yeah. IPS guy. All of that is, I understand the hype of the slider and maybe that will propel forward and this fastball wasn't bad and maybe they even gets better too. But then how much are they going to use him? And how much elevated is this 30% strikeout rate? The 110 whip doesn't seem as real either. And I don't know, is it going to be more than 140 innings from Tanner Houck? It just doesn't seem like someone that I should be jumping for in drafts. Yeah, a few things. One, IPS for those listening is, is innings per start, what Nick's referring to there. Two, it, this kind of called the strike metric that you're talking about, that includes balls in play? Yes. So I mean, if so you swing, it, if you get a swing from a batter, it's a strike. Mm-hmm. And then we also add in called strikes, right? Because everything but, else but, is ball. but even balls in play that don't result in outs. Correct. It's a strike. You threw a strike because they swung at it. Yeah, but okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, it was, that's, that's why you need to look at strike and then you need to look at the result too. Batting average allowed isn't perfect because it doesn't say mm-hmm. the quality of that hit. Yeah, of course. Uh, but I think it's a good indication of just like, okay, how did they use this pitch? How was this propelling their success or not? I think it's a really great indication of that. Yeah, the the other thing I wanted to bring up too, you kind of hinted out at the end there, is like, uh, you know, the Boston front office is in large part turning into the old Tampa Bay Rays front office, right, of old. And I'm curious to see if they're going to use Tanner Houck the way that Tampa uses their young arms, right? Fantastic. As of right now, Tanner Houck, and it's actually very funny that we say that because uh, if you look at the current <laughs> um, 
2022 Boston Red Sox rotation, it has two old Tampa Bay Rays stalwarts in Rich Hill and Michael Waka, right? Two guys that literally just pitched for the Rays and now go up to Boston. I imagine they don't assume Rich Hill is going to throw over 100 innings this year because he's 87 years old. <laughs> so you have to figure Tanner Houck fits in a little bit there. Um, sure. But still, you I don't think you can count for over 140 innings from Tanner Houck this year. And that's one of the things I think and that adds to the confusion about all of this. It turns him into a hipster then, right? Headache-inducing mm-hmm. starting pitchers that stifled the entire roster. Yeah. So, yeah, is, is he even going to start in the rotation? I can't guarantee you that. Uh, I would like him to. I think he should. I think they should just let him do whatever he needs to do and don't worry about it. But that's not always what we see. So it's just more of these questions that has me confused of where I'm going to be ranking him entering the season. In terms of upside, too, you have to figure he's probably probably third highest upside in that rotation because Sale and then probably Eovaldi and then Hauk over Pavetta, Hill, and Waka, right? Yeah, I would think so. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, maybe he kind of pitches his way into it, but also, like we said, he's, he's, you know, he's 25. He's, his career high in innings is 69 this past year. You know, he's, he's thrown over 100 in the minors and accumulatively in the past couple of years. But I just don't know if, if Boston really is Tampa light, I don't really see him getting unleashed quite yet. You know how many, you know how many games that Tanner Houck pitched six innings last year? What, two? Zero. How many, How far do they let him go at all? 5.1 is, is the highest I see. And that was, uh, f- he did five, looks like about five times. Uh, it's it's something to think about is really think about volume a lot uh, per start. Um, that means if you have a good whip, it means you're amplifying that even more too. It's not just about strikeouts and win potential. Yeah. Um, so I'm, all right, I'm struggling yeah. there. Yeah. <clears throat> Who you got? I, I, I hear you. Yeah, my, my first one is actually going to be is you Darvish. I mean, of course it is. It always is you Darvish. It's every <laughs> single year you Darvish for you fast. I know it's it's never and it always <laughs> seems so original to me when I think about it, too, because I always look at him and I'm like, it's just such a crapshoot. Right. And I mean, obviously, it's a crapshoot for a bunch of pitchers, but not only you, you know, the first thing you're obviously going to think about is health. Right. This is a guy who threw 166 sure. and a third last year. He hasn't thrown over 180 since 2017. So you never really know what you're going to get there. But what was alarming is you know the era hurt you obviously the whip did not the whip didn't didn't kill you so he was the only pitcher in baseball last year with a sub 110 whip and an era over four and that's really bizarre like usually a a majority like there's a pretty clear line of regression there or whatever with you know the more the higher your whip the higher era and he's a pretty big outlier when it comes to yep. that. And one of the big outliers was that home run to fly ball rate, right? Oh, my God. 14.6% up from 8.8% the year before. Now, he's had a home run to fly ball rate issues before, notably in 2019 in Chicago, where I think he gave up 33 like total home runs, and they were all pretty earned. He still uh, you know, ended that year with a, a, a sub-4 ERA, but as close as you can get to it as possible at 3.98. But the categorization of the home runs is a little bit tricky because he throws every pitch that's ever existed but <laughs> if, if we're following strictly what Fangraph says he gave up 14 home runs on that slider right yeah. now it, it, the slider and cur- cutter obviously they're you know he he famously goes on twitter and and talks to pitching ninja and he was like that's not a slider that's a cutter it's not a cutter that's a slider so yeah. we, we can get into the weeds about which pitch actually was giving up all of those home runs but this isn't a ballpark too that's not really one that's known for giving up these home runs so now we have home run issues we perpetually have like repertoire tinkering issues we have health issues but also the notion that like 
as soon as you Darvish was at a point where we were like, all right, he's never going to be that guy. He has that second half in 2020 or, or he has that season. 2019 and then it was insane in 2020. Yeah. So you're like, there it is. It's all happening. It's he's finally getting into it. And I just, I, I don't know yet if I'm ready to even fully say that like, okay, last year was a bit of an outlier. He He's going to be like a mid three ERA pitcher again, because there have been plenty of seasons where he hasn't been that at this point. So I, I just haven't made up my mind yet. I don't know what to do yeah. with him. Yeah. You don't know what to do with him. We should end every single one. I don't know what to do with him. Okay. I just don't know what to do with him. So, and we're here to help each other, right? We're both, we're both figuring this out together. So yeah. here's the one thing I think is, so underrated about Darvish that you mentioned already. Last three seasons of WHIP is 109.95 and 109. Mm-hmm. He is still going to be a very good WHIP pitcher. I think WHIP is yeah. the most underrated stat in fantasy. I mean, you Darvish is fantastic at it. It's a home run problem. That's what. Anytime you see a a, a big gap between the normal ERA and WHIP, like you have a mental model in your head. Of what every ERA is in the respective whip, it should go with it, right? Like if you have a sub three, it's around a one. Then you add twenty more points for a four ERA, so one twenty. Then they have to have a five, it's like a one forty. I know that's so not precise, but it's something like that. So when you see a four two two ERA and with a one oh nine whip, you should know it's home runs. Home runs are the differentiation. You should just instantly say, Oh, there's a gap home runs when there isn't one when it's reversed like it's a 3-2 ERA but a 130 whip or something that means they don't allow home runs um it's that simple uh so yeah the home run problem is the thing with Darvish uh how we have it is inside edges data yeah and uh they say that he threw 30% cutters 25% sliders of those 30% cutters 10 out of 830 were home runs and it also, <laughs> I'm just talking about the relationship between strike and batting average allowed. 72% strike rate is elite, mm. but 351 batting average allowed. Oh, God. Yeah. Don't do that. Yeah. It's not so, great. It's, but then also, no. too, like it's the, the, a career high fly ball percentage 45 percent fly balls the past two years it was 30.8 and 33.6 and now he's up to 45 percent he limited the line drives he just got the ball up and he's it's it's really bizarre so i I, (laughs) yeah the the barrel rate kind of shot up to it's the highest barrel rate of his entire career crazier things four seamer overall 161 babbit with a 141 batting average allowed but 10 home runs uh and that was another bad one 31 percent of the time thrown is what we see uh, and, you know, to get to the thing right away, which we didn't do, which everyone's like, what about this? Well, yeah, there was the sticky stuff, too, of Darvish. Darvish has already said that I had to do that. Everyone else was doing it, which is totally acceptable. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if part of 2019 was when he started actually doing that, saying, fine, OK, I guess I'm going to do this. Uh, we can see his start to start. I'm pretty sure I need to get the exact tweet again. Uh, Max Bay, choice fielder, amazing guy, created, you know, pitching plus with Enosaurus. Stuff um, plus, right? Put out the uh no the whole the whole thing, stuff mm. plus location the whole plus, suite. Location yeah. plus. Yeah, yeah. And uh the command uh of Darvish from start to start is just a complete spike, like up and down the entire way, Richter scale stuff. Um, where it's after the sticky stuff. So it's not like he just lost the sticky stuff and then was just negative, you know, the entire time. He went up and down per start, which someone on the Twitch stream made a really good point, I thought. 
which is, oh, maybe it was just the the different balls. <laughs> you know, maybe it was one start where he had one set and the other one he didn't have the other. And maybe that affected Darvish like that. Maybe. I guess the one argument for me that is beneficial for Darvish there is that he still was up after the sticky stuff. Like he figured this out in some way. Um, and there was some inconsistency and in everything, but it seems to me that given off season, okay, this stuff was thrown at Darvish and everybody mid season. The ERA should not be four two two again. It should be sub four. The whip sh- whip should still be good. It was still twenty nine percent strikeout rate. He should be around that, and that's still a really good pitcher. Yes, you're gonna have to worry about the ERA a little bit, but you're gonna get an above average, if not elite, whip and strikeout rate, and that's pretty cool. You bring up another interesting point, which is something I was researching before I had to get a new job, move across the country, and have a child, which is <laughs> that... Um, Just a couple things. I, I don't... Yeah, exactly. I don't know if we as an industry give enough credit to consistency. Yeah. Because a majority of our... If you're in a roto, consistency on a week-to-week basis doesn't matter as much because you're going to get Jose Barrios at the end of the year, right? You're locking No matter what, you're going to get Jose Barrios. But if you have a volatile pitcher like that and you're in a weekly league, one of those down spikes in you, Darvish, can mean not getting to the playoffs or not in your league. Right. One of if it's just that down, I remember I started looking at um, standard deviation of game scores to see who like the most consistent guys were along with their game I, score. Right. And, and I remember who was it? You remember who Alec it was? Mills. Yeah, it was Alec like Mills, Alec Mills, yeah. who was. And the thing about it was like, if you're going to look at consistency with game score, you can find guys who are consistently run of the mill. And Alec Mills was one of those guys who was just always like, um, but now. <laughs> you Darvish, I imagine, has a volatility there. And that that's something that needs to be considered for your team. Because like I said, if you have too many of those volatile guys, all of a sudden you're just you're not in it that week. You're, sure. That week is yeah. gone. Mm-hmm. That week is just gone. Um, so I, I think that is an interesting thing. But anyway, we should move on to your next guy. The next guy that so, you want to talk about. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, you have something else? Last last thing I'm sorry is that it sounds like Ron <clears throat> bring back VPR, if you remember that. Yeah, uh, volatility, volatility performance ratio essentially assigning values of poor, neutral, or excellent to every start, and then essentially you know making a ratio of excellent to poor uh, to kind of and see seeing how stable what that, you are, seeing what that standard deviation is, right? Seeing right. how, seeing how, yeah. I mean, right now until we have VPR, you're right. Game score is the only way to do it because it's the only catch-all. But there, you know, even even the person who created Game Score has acknowledged that it's like it's not perfect. It's just a it's just a right. quick glance at how each person performed. Yeah, well, but that would we, be, we, uh, we that, have more data now. Maybe a PL8 will see uh, VPR I'm curious. showing up everywhere. I'm very curious. Um, all right, the next guy that you're feeling a little, I don't know quite yet, is Shane McClanahan. Oh, man, I keep going back and forth. I love the guy so much. Like, how can you not? You watch him pitch, and it's just the most overwhelming, uh, fun yeah. time. Um, the the gift for his fastball on our page is that 101, which is just stupid. I mean, yeah. I remember you talking about that uh, early in the season, just freaking out about that 101 pitch. Uh, it, it's super fun, 70% strike rate, but he got hit a lot with it. 311 batting average allowed on it. Still a 29% CSW, pounded in the zone. The thing that surprised me the most, um, and that is the biggest concern, it's the reason if I'm if I'm going to be out on Shane McClanahan, it's because I don't believe in the command of that fastball getting better. Mm-hmm. If it's still going to be a high batting average allowed, 
it's not going to go where it needs to to reduce it. Like he's not going to command it like Wheeler or Alcantara, but you don't even need to do that. Show me Freed. Show me, uh, you know, Woodruff or whatever. These are still elite command guys. I'm sorry. Anyway, I the slider and curveball actually impressed me looking deeper into them. Um, the curveball had a 70% strike rate. This is elite. Yeah. That's yeah. really high. Like 62%, <laughs> yeah. 63 is what I normally see. When I see above 65, I'm really excited. 70% is great. 200 batting average allowed is great. 43% CSW on it through the year is absurdly good. 24% called strike rate. That's a 19% swing strike rate. Like, But it's only 16% usage. And I'm, th- that's a little weird to me. Um, I th- He favored his, his slider more. So McClanahan maybe pushes that up a bit. We can see some improvement because this is a good example. Uh, the anti-Darvish because Darvish had a 4.22 ERA and a 109 whip. Well, we have a 3.36 ERA, but a 127 whip, right? So not many home runs, but there's still a lot to be said about hits allowed per nine, right? So we got to, you know, hopefully he can figure that out. Uh, and also, you know, 7% walk rate. It's not like he's just walking everybody to get that whip. Slider yeah. for Shane McClanahan, 66% strike rate, 197 batting average allowed, 34% CSW, 21% swing strike rate. Like, he gets so many whiffs on them. So those pitches are so good. It's just, okay, you throw this four-seamer 40% of the time, that gets hit too hard. Yeah. Is that going to change? He's young. He's going to be 25 next year uh, in, yep. in April. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I can buy that development of the fastball because he's done so much already with the secondaries. I can't really expect him to get better. And then there's the Rays, being the Rays. He threw 123 innings last year. How many do I expect from McClanahan this year? I don't know. I mean, he's their ace. <laughs> he was their ace in the playoffs. He was, he's got to be their ace this year. Glasnow's out for a while. Maybe we don't even see Glasnow this year. He had Tommy John in August. So I don't... I don't know what to do with McClanahan. And I find myself pushing him a little bit farther down because I don't expect the hit per nine to get that much better. 127 whip last year. To say that he's going to have a 110 all of a sudden is, I think, way too generous. So what? Like a 120 whip and a 3.6 ERA with a 27 to 30% strike rate, like strikeout rate over 145. I don't, I don't know. I don't even remember what I said this morning. I uh, think 369, 121, 27% strike every the 161 innings. That sounds great. Okay. It's just, That's, yeah, but I don't know. I mean, it's a projection, yeah. not an actual, I don't know. I mean, what I do think, I, do I, think fast? Thing, I know. I mean, I, I think to, to kind of walk you off the ledge a little bit. I mean, he's already bottom of the league in terms of maximum exit velocity, hard hit rate, average exit velocity, all as a result of that four-seamer, right? I mean, he, he just gives up a lot of hard contact on that four-seamer. Even with all of that hard contact on the four-seamer, he's ending the year with a 3.43 ERA and a 15% swing strike rate, right? So, I mean, so you're saying that there could theoretically be regression if the fastball takes a step back and the breaking pitches also take a step back? Yeah, if the fa- if essentially, right, these are the first years we've seen with the breaking stuff. And yeah, there could easily be a regression with home runs to make the 336 ERA not be real. Uh, mm-hmm. When you're allowing that much, you know, in play for base hits, like it's going to catch up to you. Uh, so that, that's the big worry. And the fastball does not get better and continues to get hit um, while the yeah. other two don't do enough. Yeah, I would have. I, I just feel like I have en- enough faith in that organization that if they're like, "Hey, all you got to do is spot that fastball better," then yeah, you're going to be fine. A bit. Yeah, we'll yeah. See. Like, I mean, maybe, but it's like you said, man. I mean, when you have 
those two breaking pitches and that slider and that curve. I mean, that's such a, it's almost like the reverse. Um, you put him together with like Logan Allen and you have the, I mean, not Logan Allen. What's his name? Logan Gilbert. Logan uh, oh, Gib- uh, Gilbert. Oh yeah. Great call. Yeah. And then you've got the perfect pitcher. You get yeah, his fastball really and those breaking pitches. It's like, that's the perfect pitcher in baseball. <laughs> right. Um, uh, and, the, and the benefit that Jamie McClanahan has is unlike a typical Cleveland guardian pitcher, right? Which is two secondaries that are elite and then a bad fastball. Mm-hmm. He throws harder than any of those. Yeah. So if he's, you know, there's an idea that there is a some tinkering that you can even do to improve the command without actually sacrificing its ability. I uh, yeah, it should work. It should. I just I can't help myself that the command isn't quite as good as we need it to be, and we're assuming that will change. And I don't know. What's that CSW on his slider? Uh, it's or what's it called? Strike rate on his slider. Thirteen percent. Huh. Okay. Fifty percent zone rate, though. So he can. I mean, because I, so I'm thinking swinging, if there is a... that, he's, they're just swinging at it and they're getting outs <clears throat> or missing on it. You know? Uh, yeah. Because I wonder. I mean, it, it's not like he's not throwing the pitch pretty frequently. He went to the pitch almost thirty five percent of the time yeah. last year. But he's I wonder if there is a if there's a boost in the curveball. Maybe if he can. But the, I, I don't know okay, what, so, why. So this is interesting. I. Is O contact on the pitch is absurd. Mm-hmm. 72% whiff rate on the uh, what? On the curveball? On, on the slider out of the zone. So O contact is 28%. That's absurdly low. Mm-hmm. Uh, you normally see like 50%, and that's 28, which is they're just swinging. Anytime they swing out of the zone, they just don't hit it. There's not they just don't hit it. It's yeah. just only 33% O swing. That's where it could improve. Is just being a little more, uh, I guess, sequencing or just being a little a fewer waste pitches out of the zone. Yeah, maybe we're just overthinking it. It's like the stuff is clearly there. Like the yeah. stuff is there. It's just and, command. Yeah, it's just command. Um, all right. The next guy that we wanted to talk about here uh, is a guy that, you know, I don't want to take any victory laps on him, but uh, <laughs> he, I, I wasn't too in last year and it wasn't a great year. A lot of it due to injury. Uh, and that's, that's Zach, please Zach. So at the end of the year, he's still amassed a hundred and almost 150 innings pitch, 142 and two thirds with a mid four ERA 4.67. It was not a great year for Zach, please Zach. And he was a long ways away from that. I think it was the game that you and I both watched not together, but the um, Cincinnati game for Zach Plezak in like 2020, um, where it was like he was cruising at the beginning. And I think he ended up giving up a home run on like the seventh inning. But it was like, oh, this is dominant. Like, this is just yeah, absolutely right. dominant. And we've seen that from him. We've seen it for good stretches. And we didn't see it really for any significant stretch last year. Maybe again, as we said, it was a season fully mired by injury. Um the slider took a pretty noticeable dip and swing and miss. The fastball was just incredibly hittable last year. Um, he threw about a thousand heaters last year and the pitch had a Woba over 400, uh, which is, is, is obviously not great. Um, you know, when I, when I think about it, it's easy to be like, well, okay, this is easy. He's not the pitcher he was in 2020 and he's not the pitcher he was in 2021. He's yeah, some, right. some guy in between, but that's a pretty large, large stretch of things you know what i mean there's a large gap in between those two things so so what is he you know i i don't really quite know obviously he has that same guardians approach that we've seen in the past Uh, i mean sort of i think it's just the slider really that's that's the the best uh of of his secondary pitches i guess it's all about can he regain that four seamer can he can he find that again but i i just i don't know yeah um 
So the answer is no to the four seamer. <laughs> the four seamer, I mean, just it, gone. it was never that great. Um, yeah, but know, it was awful last year. Yes. Uh, in 2020, um, it was a 69.4 strike percentage with a 316 batting average allowed. Even in those eight starts that we love for Zach Plesak, the fastball wasn't a good pitch. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was sub 40% usage, 42% this past year. It's kind of interesting. He had a start against Cincinnati this year where he went seven innings shutout. And what do you know? It was because his fastball was good and his other stuff wasn't. Mm-hmm. But that's that's something that you should know about in season. When a guy does well and it's not the story that you normally see, you know that his fastball isn't that good. Don't buy into it. He didn't do it. Nothing is new here. The, the slider and changeup weren't returning so don't buy into that success which was the right thing to do there but change up just a lot a lot more hits 122 batting average a lot 2020 2021 it was 250 that's the that's a huge difference swing strike rate as you mentioned went way down seven ticks almost actually six in change uh not great slider draw from 26 to 18 percent swing strike rate i uh, i'm not going to say that he can't get close to you know I'm, i'll say this She's not going to get 26% swing strike rate again on that slider in 20 from 2020. But I think it can be better than an 18%. The 37% CSW down to 26, yeah, that can go back up. I'm not going to completely count it out. I it was, you know, he had some injury as well in, I believe, May that missed some time. He also goes very deep into games, though. And he's going to yeah. get all the opportunity in the world. Despite all the struggles, it was still a 119 whip. And I don't think he's a 17% strikeout guy either. I think he's closer to 21-22. So there is something here, I think, in that changeup and slider. If he can get it back, the curveball actually was a good addition, I think, at mm-hmm. times last year. Uh, 30% CSW helped against lefties. Um, but low strike rate, uh, sub 60%. We're talking 57% against lefties, which is not what you want. So it, it's there's there's stuff there that can come together. I won't be drafting him for 12 teamers. He's a Toby. However, uh, don't ignore matchups um, and don't ignore watching to see if the changeup slider curveball actually work early on. If you see any of those getting whiffs, like especially the slider or curveball or changeup, then I'm going to start paying attention to his matchups in April. Over under, over under 19% K rate for Zach, please, Zach. Over. Over. Over 19%? Yes. He is not a 16.7% K-rate guy. He was a 19% K-rate under in 2019 as well. He said one season over. Yeah, that's all right. That's fine with that. I have him at a 21.5. I, do I? I think I do. That's what our projection system, I think, spat out, and I'm fine with that. Okay. All right. Might take the under on that one. Um, all right. We've got six more guys that we're going to get to today. But before we do that, we're going to take a little quick break and hear from our sponsor. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at pitcherlist.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code 
podcast. Also, don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from YouTube videos, live streams, newsletters, off-season articles, TikToks, breakdowns, over 15 baseball podcasts on our network. We can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season. So sign up for PL Plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free. All right. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. Alrighty, let's dive back in here. Nick, there are other pitchers outside of the AL East, but I guess we're not going to talk about them today when it comes to years. We're going to wrap up the, your, your, the AL oh, East here right? with your pitchers. Oh, wow. yeah, with, with, uh, <laughs> we've done Tanner Alex, Shane McClanahan, and now Alec Manoa, another guy you're not too sure on. So I've said this a lot that there are four guys that I am not too sure on. I'm not going to spoil who the last two are, but if you've been listening a bit, you'll know who they are. And McClanahan and, and Manoa are certainly part of them. Um, what do we do here? This is someone who had a fastball and slider that were excellent last year. I remember the debut. Alec Manoa's changeup really surprised me. I, this is where I got really excited. I thought, oh, my God, he's got three things, and he can throw the changeup at any time or the slider and the fastball, too. And what we saw through the rest of the year was actually, oh, no, no, it's just fastball and slider. That's yeah. it. But the slider was at times absurdly dominant. I mean, just the filth McGee of filth, right? Uh, but I don't know if that's the real Manoa, if it's actually going to be a consistent thing. The changeup was not overall an effective pitch at all. 56% strike rate, 21% CSW, 250 batting average allowed on changeups, kind of blech. I mean, wasn't really enough there. And the fastball, I I don't know if it's actually a 14% swing strike rate pitch. I, I want to believe it is. It comes in at 935 there were days that he, I think, got like 20 whiffs alone on his just his fastball. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I wish a 15 in his final start of the year. It, it was at times absolutely nuts how good the, the fastball performed. But I don't know if it is always going to be that 19 I'm thinking of against the Angels on the 11th. On the on the fastball alone, at 17 call strikes, 40% CSW on 90 thrown, which is stupid mm. uh, for Alec Manoa. But he also only threw about 111 innings this year in the majors. Uh, tack on a couple more and just under 130 for the year. So how long are we going to – is he going to go this year? Um, a little bit of hipster in there. Hopefully the Blue Jays push him over 160 and let him actually just do his thing. I I, I guess I'm just kind of back and forth and how much I want to rely on this two-pitch pitcher. I, I'm in. Like I want him on all my teams. It's just about – where he's going in drafts uh he's un- undeniably a top 40 pitcher he's i think a top 31 too is just do i decide on manoa or do i go with someone more consistent like i'm actually seeing in um nfbc right now alec manoa is going 87th trevor rogers is right after him and charlie mm-hmm. morin is too mm-hmm. and as a part of me i'm kind of there's a part more of me that wants there. to go Trevor Rogers instead. I believe the fastball more than Manoa's. So it's, but then again, the slider is so good with Manoa too. You know, it's, it's hard. What do I do fast? Well, when you're talking about the heaters, you, are you lumping in the four seamer and the sinker together? Do you think there's a, yes. a, a better? Yeah. Okay. I, I mean, I, I'm curious to see what he does with the usage there. It seems like he does have the ability to get, an okay amount of uh, of of ground balls with that sinker, which I kind of like, right? Because it's that out pitch. It could be that sure, out yeah. pitch for him when he starts to get into trouble. Obviously, he gave up a lot of uh, a significant amount of contact last year. Um, 
and I, I agree with what you said too, where it's just like, I don't think I ever really saw a game where, um, or I should say, I don't think I ever really saw a slate of games, two or three even, where the changeup was consistently firing on a particular kind of cylinder, exactly, right. right? Where it was just like, okay, so then you're just a, like you said, then you're just four seam, you're just four seam slider. Obviously, you've got the velocity. Slider, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't know. I'm kind of with you on that. I, I just don't, I would have a lot of difficulty seeing him live up to that whip expectation again. Like a 1.05 whip yeah. is, 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 is very, very good. And you look at that difference between the FIP and the ERA and you kind of anticipate that there is going to be um, a little bit of a fall from grace there too. So then again, we're back to this, what, 140 innings of a, what, 1.1 1.15 maybe whip and a mid three era i guess also if that's the worst that you're talking about i don't know if that's the worst though what, do you think he could be like a four era pitcher i mean i don't see why not it's it's not the largest of samples from a rookie and we've certainly seen guys go into the four era territory i mean that's not out of the question at all yeah that's true yeah he's he's a i don't i don't have he's a guy that we just don't know about nick yeah, He's so it's funny. Just don't what, know about. What, what did you say? It was mid three ERA, one one five WHIP, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a three seven one one sixteen. That's Alc Manila. So great. That. Yeah, and then Birds I of a have had about one fifty eight innings though, because it was one hundred thirty, including the minors and the Jays. Like, why mm-hmm. would they not let him go? Yeah, that's fine. Or whatever. So between McClanahan and Manoa, I am leaning Manoa at the moment. Because he is between his fastball and slider, neither were as detrimental as McClanahan's fastball. That's why I'm leaning that way right now. It's I don't. It's so close. I mean, you guys heard. I think the projection I had for McClanahan was 121 whip three six ninety array, like mm-hmm. absurdly close. Same amount of innings, essentially pretty much the same strikeout rate, right? So I'm leaning Manoa very slightly, but and I will yeah, say I can... too, to to Manoa's benefit, less of a leash I think in starts. As the Rays will push him more than McClanahan from the Rays. That's exactly what I was going to say. The Rays are going to pull McClanahan much more frequently. Where we saw, I mean, we saw Manoa go eight innings. We saw him go seven multiple right. times. So yeah, I think I would. You know, the IPS is definitely going to be better for Manoa. So I, I agree there and leading with leaning with Manoa there. Um, the next guy that I wanted to talk about was uh, in the NL East, uh, a guy that we've had conversations before who's been a little bit baffling to us. Very interesting three-pitch mix that sometimes just doesn't seem to make sense but always gets the results, and that's Ian Anderson. Um, if you haven't yet, go check out this piece on Fangraphs that Justin Choi released on Ian Anderson. That's a really great read based off of some feedback you heard from Eno in a Rates and Barrel episode that talked about the kind of bizarre nature of Ian Anderson's changeup and how the success that he has with it is actually really difficult to capture. So if you're looking particularly at the metric that you brought up earlier from Stuff Plus, um, it kind of defies categorization because the stuff plus numbers aren't particularly elite, but the results that he's had that he's had on those cha- on that changeup have been very very good. Um, you know, this harkens to another conversation that was kind of going on on Twitter a couple of days ago when Chris Bassett was like, "Hey, man, uh, analytics doesn't like my fastball, but like here I am, like absolutely dominating with my fastball," and it's kind of a a a, a misrepresentation of what I think analytics is, you know what I mean? Where it's like, there are certain things that says his, his fastball is very good. And there's certain analytics that says that he's very good, but 
there's also like analytics are just measurements of particular yeah. things. You know what I right. mean? Like, just information. So, they have they're completely judgment free. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and Kyle Bodie like quote tweeted something that I said on on Twitter and talked about. Um, oh, there was a term that he used uh, about uh, analytics that I never heard expressed before. That was just. Oh God! Hold on, give me two seconds to find <laughs> well, about, it. About Bass's fastballs, I I love his four seamer and sinker just separately. Four seamer yeah. use utilizes a two oh. strike pitch is actually really good, and then the sinker is great again called strikes. He called it surveillance analytics, uh, and that's the the usage of like how a broadcaster is measuring success. Like they're keeping surveillance on a player by these metrics. And they're not telling the full story of them right. is kind of how I interpreted that to be. And I love that. I love the notion of like, well, it's just kind of a surveillance analytic, you know, but when you get deeper, anyway, I'm, I'm getting too far away yeah, from yeah, the point. The point is essentially that when it comes to Ian Anderson's changeup, there, there has been success there, despite the fact of, of what metrics say. He, Justin also brought up a really good point about, you know, obviously something we've talked about in the release point and how unique that is with that changeup, but also the similarities that it shows a lot metrically with Lucas Giolito's. Um, change up. The only difference is that Ian Anderson throws his change up far harder than Lucas Giolito. It's like a top 50 average velocity change up in, in baseball. He throws it almost right. eight, I think it's 88 miles an hour on average. Mm -hmm. um, so it's an interesting mix, but it's also, you know, the that delivery, that kind of over the top delivery, maybe that adds to it. But then at the end of the day, last year, I don't think, you know, he, he, particularly blew anyone away i mean with a 1.23 whip and a you know middling three era it was fine but i just don't know what to necessarily expect from him whether over the course of a full season if he goes 170 if it all kind of the, the tracks just fall off and guys can pick up on it or if he can sustain that i don't really know what do you think yeah uh, i'm actually really happy you brought up that ian anderson article um it got me thinking a lot because uh i know i know I, it's really stuck with me from first pitch arizona i've said it multiple times on this velocity difference uh, was a huge part of pitching plus it was one of the biggest factors they found that distinguished good from bad is a cross repertoire velocity difference and it always it makes sense a lot at the same time um i do wonder if actually the smaller gap for Ian Anderson's changeup helps him. Because I think of it this way. If when you have like a 15 or 20 mile per hour gap, really 15 for, of course, not 20, uh, for a Giolito between his, it's like 95 to 80 at times or something like that. Um, just imagine the, the, the hitter planning for a fastball. And if there's, you know, instead of making it a 15 mile per hour gap, let's make it a 50, right? Mm -hmm. You're you're taking in a fastball and you're you're gearing up for a fastball and you realize it's slower. But because it's a 50 mile per hour gap, you have so much time now to readjust to the EFIS coming, right? Kind of mm -hmm. like how it's like uh, a right head at Duque's EFIS. There's more time for the batter to adjust. So obviously there's an extent of which velocity difference is actually detrimental, right? There's some bell curve to this. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and it made me wonder if Ian Anderson throwing a little bit harder is making it so that the adjustment period, it's, you know, it's enough of a difference 
where the bat is... won't be on it and that mm. the, the plane is different enough. But it's fast enough. It's just at the right point of being just fast enough that you can't make that adjustment. And you can't tell that it's something different, right? Yeah. Um, that I, I don't I have no idea if that's right or not. But I was trying to oh. search for answers um, for this. And it got me thinking about that stuff a lot. Uh, I don't know. I don't have any any good answer for it. What I will tell you is that Ian Anderson is not consistent in what he does. Mm. Um, it's been the problem for a bit is that he just can't get the right timing of his, you know, of everything coming out so that the changeup doesn't go always in the same place and, and so on. So it makes for volatility, which makes for the whip now, the 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 high whip. Same time, he's so hard to hit. He is, yeah. I think he's just proven this over and over again. He is not going to be like a 20% homer for fly ball guy. Uh, he's not going to be that side of it. He is a really hard guy to barrel up. Uh, and that's cool. <laughs> that's that's a, that's a really good skill to have. And I don't think it's going away. If anything, I think it's going to get better. Um, I will also mention we saw the curveball show up at times. Yeah, that curveball hasn't always been notoriously the best pitch. Just a fifty-five percent strike rate last year for a twenty percent usage is an atrocity. You can't do that. Both his four seamer and changeup are well above sixty percent curveball that low, right? So that's how many waste pitches he's throwing and, and using his curveball for that. However, when it all came together, it was just stupid. Yeah, uh, he had the start against uh, against Miami. Thirteen whiffs on thirty-one curveballs. All of a sudden, that's crazy. A fifty-five percent CSW, and that's regardless of the ones that they actually made contact on. I uh, that's nuts. And seeing that potential at least just once. Makes me a little excited that maybe at some point we'll see that curveball really become a 60 plus strike pitch. And then you're going to see the walk rate come down uh, from the 10% mark that it is right now for Ian Anderson. Then you'll see the whip come down too. Then it'll become harder to hit because you, you're not going to have as many favorable counts. So I'm kind of in favor of Ian Anderson, who's going to be 23 on opening day. That's insane. Uh, 24 a month later. But this dude is young and developing. I'm in, personally. I, I'm really intrigued. I think we're going to see the best season of Ian Anderson this year. I Ooh, have him wow. at 36, 121, 25. That is a 36 ERA, 121 whip, and 25% K rate. But I could see it being much better. I hate the projection because it's like, you know, there's all these question marks. I don't think it's... I think we're not realizing that there's a large ceiling to be had with Ian Anderson that he hasn't clicked yet. So, I, I yeah, I'm a fan. Something tells me then that because the end of season or too soon rankings had him relatively low compared to what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, I've so, been doing a lot of thinking about Ian Anderson. So we're, let's let's see if we can out. find a new home for him. He's obviously <laughs> over Manaya and Gibson and Cal Quantrill and Jordan Montgomery. He's over Scooble, Walker, Marquez. Is he over Sonny Gray? Uh, oh god yes okay hold on okay. I'm, I'm bringing mine up i'm bringing this up here uh so ian anderson he's probably currently... gonna be is gonna be in my around my top 40 he's are okay so, um, so like we're i'd say oh this is over this is blake hard. snell he's gonna be right around 35 or so i was gonna say like i that. knew it i knew you're gonna put him right after blake snell uh, well blake snell's a 31 for me right now uh, oh not on the list on the on the sidebar you gotta update that Oh, probably. I guess so. I, but I, but Otani's at 35 right now. I'll put him above Otani. 
But okay. I'll put them behind Logan Webb and Barrios and Cease. I mean, those are they're also going to change too. Trevor okay. Rogers has got to go up. All right, lots of things to change here. But you're going to see um, see Ian Anderson top thirty five. I don't know if that helps. If that convinced you at all, fast. Um. I, nah. I I love your enthusiasm. <laughs> I love your enthusiasm. I love your enthusiasm. Um, all right. The next guy that we're going to talk about for you is a guy that you have mentioned in the past. Another guy that you're still kind of wishy-washy on. Obviously a lead upside this year, but a sordid past to say the least. Freddie Peralta. Yeah. So Freddie Peralta, man, I've been saying he's so cross body. It's so hard to stay in rhythm with this. And I had so many doubts. Look, why are we going to expect his slider is going to be good when he's never commanded his fastball in the first place? He had a 9.5% walk rate this year and still held a sub one whip, which is so strange. But it's because he's stupid hard to hit. I mean, it's it's crazy. The slider, uh, 158 batting average allowed with a 61% strike rate with a 66 strike rate on his four seamer and a 164 batting average allowed. Like. His stuff did not get hit. <laughs> uh, it's 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 really it's that simple. Um, and I go back and forth about is he going to be able to be in rhythm and get enough strikes? I actually I talked to Andrew Triggs yesterday. It was supposed to go out on the feed this morning. I screwed it up, so it didn't. I <laughs> uh, it will. You guys will hear that soon. Um, it's it's a new episode of Talking Pitching. We hope to have more of those in the future. Um, and Triggs was a sidewinder. I don't know if you remember Andrew Triggs in your mind much about how he pitched, but he was someone who stepped closed like a big way towards third base. Okay. Um, and I asked him about this. I was like, Hey, do you have any struggles like commanding with this? Cause this is the thing I normally see with guys that are lower arm angles and throw closed. And he said, no, not really. The only times that I had to maybe get it back was when I was injured. And then I had to find the feel again. That's interesting. And that really is to me, too, because I kind of consider like Sean Manaya, for example, one of those. And I even brought it up and, he's, you know, he got all his velocity. He says, well, you know, shoulders take time. And, you know, he came back, but it takes some time. And, yeah, now Manaya's throwing 93 at the end of the year and better command. And it's like, wait, hmm. So maybe I should be – I don't know if it's right to do so, but maybe at least think maybe with these guys that are ultra cross body, everything is fine until there is – an injury of some kind and then i won't expect him to get it back so as of right now freddie peralta is fine he still has a 9.5 percent walk rate though um but it's just still so hard to hit so i don't know like what do we do with freddie peralta fast i think we should be a little bit encouraged by the fact that the that the called strike rate was the highest of his career um so, you know, there's there's positive steps forward there, but it is a little bit interesting to see that even with that high called strike rate, I mean, it's not too much of a jump from his career normal, but like you said, we're still dealing with a, essentially a 10% walk rate, right? Um, yeah. So that that is a, a little bit scary for sure. I mean, I don't, I'm actually not as scared about the innings this year, assuming he can stay healthy. I think he can hit 170, 170. 65 again um it's just a matter of how far back down to earth that whip is going to come to um and also what that 230 babip is going to look like right this is a guy with a career 270 babip i mean he hasn't really amassed a ton of innings to his name so that might just be too small of a sample size um but yeah i i i'm prone to believe that the changes that he made are a little bit legit last year um so yeah, I I guess I don't know. I think I'm 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 kind of in on Freddie Peralta. I, I, uh, I want to be too because the the pitches themselves are, are just so dominant. 
Mm. I, I can't I can't neglect this. Thirty four percent on a four seamer is that you throw over fifty percent of the time is innately just that's a thirty four percent CSW. Incredible. Like what? That that you get all the things. And then twenty six percent slider uh usage slider with a thirty three percent CSW, twenty percent swing strike rate. Like they couldn't hit that either. Uh and he was still Professor Chaos. Like it wasn't like a yeah. some plots are this beautiful thing. That's why he has the high walk rate. And he's wildly inefficient, but he threw 144 innings last year. He shouldn't be camped counseled that much. Mm-mm. Think of like Corbin Burns or so. So 165, 170 seems right. And should be good. <laughs> who, who I, else is... it's, it's hard, but I, I, I got to just say, all right. Yeah, man, you're going to be good. And that's cool. Yeah, he's still going to be the number three in that rotation. Yep. And then they have, well, so what? They have Hauser and they have Lauer, but then theoretically they could have Ashby. Yeah, that's why they, I'm not they... in Ashby. It's because I feel like it's full and you're not going to be happy drafting him because he won't start right away. Yeah, that is. Yeah. Um. Anyway, that's not the Sorry. next guy that we're talking about. But the next I, guy. Yes. Oh, go ahead. We might go a little bit long in this podcast. I have a 354-113 whip for Peralta over Cross 165, which sounds great. So, yeah, it does sound good. Yeah, I think, I think we answered that question. Um, the next guy, we have two more guys. Oh, actually, we have three more guys total. Two for me, one final one for me. The last guy, or excuse me, penultimate guy I wanted to talk about is a guy up in Detroit, and that's Tarek Skubal. Um, mm. A lot to think about with Tarek Skubal. <laughs> well, uh, all right. Uh, <laughs> and that's it. Well, you, you have to kind of figure, first and foremost, that the gloves are probably going to be off a little yes. bit with him this year, right? At the end of the year, we saw where they were like, all right, he's just going three innings, just going four innings, and that's kind of all we're dealing with there. Um, and then, but in the middle of the season, they kind of let him loose a little bit, and you have to figure that he's going to be able to do that. Ends the year with a 4.34 ERA over about 150 innings pitch with an 11.4 swinging strike rate and a 1.26 whip. Um, Obviously, those numbers aren't fantastic, but it just seems like there are areas of improvement for another guy who, as we mentioned, is super young, right? Um, He does have a nice changeup in his arsenal. He does have a really good slider, although you'd want to be able to see it to get a few more swings and misses. Um, He's almost kind of like... Zach Plezak in the fact that the slider and the changeup are there, but the four seamer is not great. It just wasn't a consistently good pitch for him. So if he's going to be able to make strides there, it was probably going to have to be based around those heaters. Um, If we're thinking solely of fantasy, the Tigers are not a team that we should just immediately count out, right? The Javier Baez signing was good for him. So was the Tucker Barnhart signing. I think Tucker Mm -hmm. Barnhart might be able to make some good strides with, with Tarek Skubal and, and help, uh, help him reach his potential a little bit more. I'm not going to bring up ADP again because we're not talking about that uh, in this podcast. But is there? Are, are you definitively out on Tarek Skubal, or do you think no. there's another step that he could take? I'm actually, it? I'm actually a fan of Tarek, but it's just about you know, as you mentioned, we're not really going to talk ADP. But I don't know if I'm going to be able to get him. I, I will say, um, last year was purely a season of development. I said it during it. It's very rare to actually say this guy is going to be developing and then sit there and actually understand it as it's happening you know say oh cool this is what it looks like the guy's going to change what he throws and he's going to be successful with this one some days and that one not and it's experimentation and all this stuff and that's what the total of 2021 was uh last month was the tiger saying you are not throwing more than three innings anymore 
Mm-hmm. And they wanted to get this nice round 150 innings, essentially, for Scooble. They had 149. So as you mentioned, gloves are coming off now. He's just starting until he wants to stop starting, I think, for the Tigers this next year, which is a good thing. The yeah. Tigers are not a team, I think, once they take off the gloves, that will limit Scooble to just five innings or so. That's pretty cool. What's also cool is what generally you see is guys that throw fastballs more go deeper because they're going to get more balls in play. Generally, they're going to be more outs and stuff. And if you have one that has a 70% strike rate like Scooble did, uh, it is encouraging to me that maybe that fastball doesn't get burned as much next year. Having that high of a strike rate and zone rate, is is if it didn't work out in that way, I think you can pull it down now. You've established, like, cool, I'm just kind of doing, you know, I'm getting in the zone. I can do that. Great. Now let's just, like, be a little bit more precise and take some more risks with it in a good way, right? Around the zone, around the edges. I think Scooble can do that. Not to mention, I think the fastball gets better as those secondaries also improve. The slider came out in a big way, I thought. 31% yeah. CSW is really nice. 68% strike rate is really nice. Just a 200 batting average allowed. That's great. The real question is the changeup. Is that going to take shape? I think there was a nice stretch in the middle of the season where Tariq Skubal's changeup was really working and cooking. But for their overall season, 51% strike rate. It was not the dependable pitch he needed it to be. And I, so, I think that's all about yeah. his usage, too. I mean, I think that, I don't think there's any coincidence that when you're seeing those results, it's right where he was throwing it at about 20% of the time, right? Sure, yeah. And it is interesting that over the course of the year, that fastball usage, act, the, the, excuse me, the four-seam usage declined while the sinker usage increased. And I'm curious to see if he does kind of pivot to this kind of Logan Webb sinker change up kind of east west kind of guy also with that slider because the slider usage jumps up at the end of the year as well too but then again it's really tough to be able to look at those samples because those are samples of three innings you know what i mean they were just saying go out there and do what you got to do so he wasn't really going on that four seamer a little bit i also i i can't remember the name of the um pitching coach for the tigers at the moment um but he's been doing some good work with them it seemed um he seems like he's really interested in kind of changing the um, departmental thinking of that pitching staff. And I'm kind of on board for that. Yeah. I, I think, I, man, I think I am too. That sounds, that sounds wonderful. Chris Fetter. Okay. That's his name. Chris gotcha. Fetter. I be, I'm yeah. a believer in the four seamer in the future for Tarek Skubal. I think that's a, that's a pitch that's had a near 12% swing strike rate uh, yeah. in this year. And I, he does have a philosophy. I think of going upstairs. And I think when he, at, was at his best. Tarek Skubal was keeping sliders and two jumps down, four seamers up, doing the Blake Snell blueprint, jamming right-handers up and in. There is potential here, and we're going to see more acceleration, I think, forward uh, in 2022. I, I, I think there is something to like here. How much is the question? Uh, and I wouldn't be banking on this being a breakout year. Yeah. Uh, but I am a fan of it in general. One last thing. We always love bringing this up with other pitchers, but we never seem to bring it up with the Tigers, which is it's a weaker division. Obviously, you can't pitch against your own team, but they're not as uh, poor they're in actually, offense as they once were. They're not the worst. They're not the Royals or the Guardians. So, Yeah, or the Twins, who are probably yeah, I guess, might I guess be. the Twins are now depleted, too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No I mean, yeah, they finished at the bottom of the division last year. Um, yeah, there you go. Which is crazy. The Tigers finished third. Uh, there were like there were rumblings for a little while. We're like, oh, we're in the playoff race. Like it right, was, they were right, in the wild right. card hunt. Yeah, yeah. Um, that offense was not right. someone to stream against for a bit in the second half. Yeah, 
it was bizarre. Uh, right. New times, and I like yeah. it. It's good for the sport. Um, all right, let's let's wrap it up with our, our final two guys. Your guy this is, is Logan one. Webb. Yeah, yeah, Logan Webb. All right. I'm, I'm going to say a couple of very quick things about Logan Webb. Um, his overall fly ball percentage was about 18% last year. Mm-hmm. Um, if you say, Nick, I have no idea what good reference point that is. Okay, cool. In 2019, uh, the, the league leader in lowest... Uh, fly ball percentage was Dakota Hudson at 21. God. The fourth was 25%. Okay. If you go back to 2018, that number is 24% as Dallas Keuchel. And the third is 28. Logan Webb is not going to have an 18% fly ball rate again. It was so abnormal, so extreme to me. And it was over not even a full season. You know, it really started being him. I... Uh, four months of the season and i'm not saying that he's not a ground ball guy he is yeah but to have that low of a fly ball percentage is is shocking to say the least yeah um, i mean 22 percent the year before 23 percent before right. that this i don't is, know if they, it, i but that's essentially establishing like there's no one better in the league um at suppressing fly balls than logan webb forever now and I don't know if that's the case. I don't know if I, I truly believe that for 2022 moving forward. Now, I'm not saying that he's not going to. I don't think he's going to be a 30% fly ball guy. But I think that did a lot to suppress home runs. Can you guess how many home runs Logan Webb allowed on fastballs last year? He threw 1,075 fastballs. And how many home runs he allowed on them? Yes. Two. Yeah, Three. Ah, that was my first guess. Dang it. Ah, oh, you should have gone with it. That is so small. That's that's unbelievable. Uh, that, it's not going to repeat. I mean, and I think no one here is thinking that he's going to be a 2.97 ERA. I don't think anyone's really expecting him a 109 whip again, right? But, it, it, you know, just like before, is how far does this fall? And I, I don't, I, I don't think that there's, I think the fastball itself, the sinker really, um, it's vertical break one, the highest in the majors last year, which is it would explain the fly ball rain stuff. Still had a 280 batting average allowed, if you can believe it. Probably because ground balls allow for that. It's just then you're going to add in some more home runs with it, and all of a sudden it can be a little more of a problem. Uh, the slider was absurd in a 156 batting average allowed and a 39% CSW. I don't know if that will exactly stick, just a 64% strike rate. And then the changeup was fine. It actually wasn't that great. There were some starts it was really good for him, but it wasn't this elite pitch either. So you combine all of that and you get someone to me that yeah. isn't a three ERA guy. You get someone that's like a three six three seven, mm-hmm. which is still good. It's just not, you know, I, generally when I get a guy in the top 25, the projection will be like a three seven three eight, but it's with the intention of, oh man, there is a chance here that he does this. And then he becomes top 10 or something, right? Zach Wheeler was there last year. You know, Sandy Alcantara was there, right? Those are the ones I want to jump for. And yeah, sure. Logan Webb just did sub three ERA, 109 whip, 26% strikeout rate. But I'm not believing that tweak and that ability to be a top 10 guy um, in 2022. So that to me has me hesitant. What should I do fast? I want well, I think first of all, it's almost more pertinent to point out the large increase in ground ball rate as opposed to the the fly ball rate, right? So obviously, like you said, 18.5% is absolutely insane. There's no argument with that whatsoever. Um, but it's not too far from 22%, right? 
three and a half percent. The sixty, insane. yeah, that's still insane. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But that's what he's been doing his entire career. It seems the sixty-one percent ground ball rate is is eleven percent higher than it was last year, and thirteen mm-hmm. percent higher than it was the year before. Um, that that's also just a little bit insane. I, I wonder. I, I the only reason I think I'm in is I I think I've done questioning the Giants pitching staff. Um, I wonder if Logan Webb is, and this is pure conjecture, is is a perfect is the right pitcher at the right time. If he is already swinging the pendulum back to an east west pitch type, and as a result, throwing hitters who are much more accustomed to the north south to you know. Uh, uh, to the Blake Snell br- blueprint, uh, and he's taking advantage of that. Interesting. So the sinker, I mean, the benefit of the sinker though isn't horizontal; it's depth. Sure, it has the most drop of any. But still, he's going like this. He's not. He's not going north south yeah, as fast as fast parts the Red Sea with his hands. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He, he's <laughs> he's going. He's not going the typical. You know, he's not doing like sticking with Blake Snell. He's right. not doing he's not Blake Snell's elevating doing. and then going under the zone kind of thing. No, he, not at all. Yeah. Those pitches are meeting sure. in the middle and then taking a left or a right. Great point. And, and the location you're saying, like he's against a righty, he's throwing a backdoor sinker that sure starts higher and drops lower, but it's still on the outside corner. Exactly. And right. I wonder if he's taking advantage of swing planes and what they're turning into and how they're trying to combat modern pitching. And I wonder if this is his kind of moment as a result wow, of that. That's interesting. So so what should I do, though? Are you are you buying Logan Webb in 2022? Um, right. <laughs> I'll stick with Mike. I'll stick. Uh, yeah. Uh, actually, I don't have to give an answer because this is the guys that were like, mm, well, yeah, we don't know. Okay, fair enough. Know. All right. Fast. Who is your last one? As we've already gone long on this one, but we're gonna. I know. I didn't. I thought it was gonna be a short one, and here we go. Uh, so my last one, me, never. I know is a guy that we have perpetually have had eyebrows raised on, who's never really panned out over the course of a full season due to injury or due to whatever, and that's Eliezer Hernandez. Um. So do not know by now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I wish I could. I just wish I could get a hundred innings from him. I, I wish I could get 90. Um, he threw 51 and two thirds last year and it didn't go super well. Uh, obviously he was dealing with some stuff. So I, I don't think that it's really fair to kind of uh, address that as that being who he is. I obviously, I mean, man, this is, this is just kind of the podcast where I guess I'm just talking about guys who've got good secondary <laughs> pitches and not good fastballs there you go. it, it really does just kind of keep coming back to that right. with Elias Hernandez where it's like I still just believe in that slider um I guess I I, I want to that fastball slider changeup combination I still think can be an effective one for him he's obviously in an organization with the Marlins that's been able to make a lot of great strides with guys who have fairly similar repertoires right you know even Pablo Lopez comes to mind to you know accept his changeup yeah. is far better um I am a little bit worried because there's such a log jam there as well. Although who knows what the heck is going to happen with Sixto Sanchez because that Craig Mish tweet was enough for me to never draft him for you right. know the rest of my, of my life. Um, but I do think that there is still a good amount of upside there with that repertoire. I mean, that slider is constantly hovering near like an 18, 20% swinging strike rate pitch. There's no real questions about whether or not that pitch can be an effective one for him. It's just whether or not he can kind of bring the fastball to a place where it's a, it's a serviceable pitch for him. Okay. So I, I just don't know if he can do that quite yet. 
I say this as a complete joke, and I don't want this to stick, but there's a reason why his initials are E-H. Eh, um, that's very uh, good. I The slider is, yeah, as you said, sub-200 batting average is allowed. It was a 71% strike rate in the limited uh, 51 innings we saw last year. Um, but the four-seamer is always a problem. And we've seen a lot of fastball slider guys in the in the past. The changeup, I'm just completely ignoring. It's never been a 60-plus strike pitch. It's never been consistent. It's just nothing to really talk about, if you ask me. Every rare moment we see it come out, but it's just not something I can depend on. Yeah. So it's like every fastball slider guy we see, Wasker, you know, it comes to mind. Elite slider there. The benefit of most fastball slider guys is that they also throw 94, 95. Adbert Alzelay or so. Eliezer does not. Eliezer yeah, throws 91. And we've seen bad batting averages allowed on this pitch constantly. I don't think that it's going to change. I don't really see how Eliezer Hernandez gets out of this unless he all of a sudden has the best fastball command out there. And I don't see a reason when he's not getting the time to get into a rhythm with that because he's always so injured that I can bank on that. Um, It's just not something I want to trust constantly in fantasy. I I see the the appeal. 383 ERA, 124 whip, 24% K rate. 5% 5% walk rate like that wait hold on a second give him yeah. a full year this could work out I think the fastball is just too much of a detriment for him and it's a really hard path for him to to beat it out with a slider yeah someone if there's god there really is just so much in that minor league system too that that could just knock him out if you just and that's the thing too I guess maybe that kind of answers my question too Eliezer Hernandez could probably be a fantastic seventh eighth inning guy you know what I mean? If you come in there and you're like, hey, man, just throw that slider. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, you're right. He doesn't have the fastball velocity yet, but it doesn't really matter. Just go in there and throw your slider. And honestly, if he goes to relief, maybe he could tick up that fastball to a little bit more. Sure. Yeah. Um, maybe it's 92, 93 because he can do max effort. Sure. Yeah. Just do that for an inning and be fine. So may- maybe I don't know if it will fully come together. But either way, we don't know. I think that was the know. perfect way to end it where you're like, eh. Elias Hernandez, eh, <laughs> like he's the perfect just, eh, all right. Um, all right, but that, we did it, Nick. We Our first it. podcast of the year. Oh, man. Um, we did it, episode so number 297. Good to see you fast. I missed you. Good to see you, too. See, nothing's changed. We're still going to be podcasting. I'm here changed, on the guys. West Coast. Nick's on the East. We're going to be living the dream. We're going to be praying for baseball. But, yeah, that's going to do it for episode number 297 of All the Court of the Official PitcherList.com podcast. I'm your host, Alex Fast. And I'm Nick Pollock, and we'll talk to you guys next week.